0: not just for that person that you may be going, oh, I've never heard that story before, or I've heard it and now I've learned something new, um, or like me, man, I've read the Bible a bunch of times, and that's the first time I've ever noticed that thing. So uh, we we stop every fall uh, in this series, and then we pick up in the late spring, early summer with this series. And so where we finished last year was where Solomon had kind of imploded, and he had made a mess of the nation of Israel because of his own personal choices, and he had gotten a bunch of wives that did not believe, okay, so the first problem is he had a bunch of wives, right, okay, so I don't want to, I don't want to graze over that like, oh, that's a minor problem, I mean, that was a big deal, Um, and a lot of those were political, and so that sin led to other sins. And so what did it end up happening? All these, all these foreign wives worship foreign gods. Some really horrible, horrible behaviors. Um, when you read First Kings chapter 11, it talks about uh, a couple gods, one, Ashtaroth and Chemosh and Molech. Molech was a god. Now understand that Solomon is the third king of Israel. He's the wisest man who ever lived. He amounted more, he amassed more wealth for the nation of Israel than they had ever had. And, you know, the Bible says that while well, Solomon was the king, Silver was so plentiful it was in the streets, it was like rocks on the ground. Okay, So Solomon had a lot going for him, but he, he, because he allowed these people and these women to influence him, um, he began to build these little worship centers for all these false gods. Now, just so I want you to know how depraved this became, one of the false gods was Molech, M-O-L-E-C-H. Molech was a god, um, of, of course a false god, there's only one true god. But Molech was this, was this god that they would they'd build these statues and he was hollow inside and it, his arms stretched out like this and they would build a fire inside of him right in his belly and they would offer their children to Molech. So Solomon got to a point where he was okay with that. Let that sink in. He got to a point where oh that sounds like a great idea to appease these people in his life. So Today, we're going to talk about the lost art of leading. And really, this is kind of about the chaos of the kings of Israel and the kings of this nation and what they allowed their lives to look like. And just so you know, when we talk about leading, we're not talking about a title that you may or may not have. We're not talking about the the initials after your name or before your name. Whether you are a supervisor at work or you own your own company or whatever it is, we're not talking about leadership in that formal sense. So we'll just simply understand as leading as influencing, right? To lead means to influence. So you all lead in some way or another. You all influence in some way or another. Every person you encounter in your life, you have the opportunity to lead them or influence them. Do you understand that? So let's start with that basic understanding. It's the person at the grocery store. It's the person who takes your order at the restaurant. It's the gas station. It's any person that you encounter, you have an opportunity to lead them. You have the opportunity to influence them. Okay? So, have you ever gone to a restaurant and got bad service? Absolutely. Right? And you've gotten bad service, you looked at someone and went, uh, really? And, It very well may be that you got bad service because of nothing else but this person 20 minutes ago. Something horrible happened to them. On their way into work or at home or whatever it was. And so now, what we tend not to do is say, okay, what can I do for this person instead of what can this person do for me? It is very difficult to lead as a taker. It's very difficult to influence as a taker. You know what I mean by taker, correct? Right. So it's easy to fall into the trap of always taking more than you give. It's human nature to do that. Adam and Eve introduced that into our lives and we fight it all the time. So, you have the opportunity to influence, to lead everybody you interact with. Now, I would encourage you to lead face-to-face. I would encourage you to influence face-to-face. Not Facebook-to-Facebook. So influence and lead face-to-face personal interaction so that somebody can hear your voice. Not read a text. You know how emotionless and cold text is? You can throw in all the emojis you want. I still don't really know everything about emojis and how they work, or even where to find them and insert them. I, I, I'm happy to live in that world. Um, I've often thought, I've often saw an emoji and thought, I have no idea what that means. I wonder what that really means. Um, so I encourage you to lead to influence face-to-face so that the sound of your voice, the tone of your voice, the inflection of your voice matters, like that. Okay, so... So when we talk about leading, we're really just talking about influence. And here's a statement I I would like to challenge you with. That your influence should flow through God's power that is changing you. There probably is no greater danger than trying to lead without being changed. You personally being changed. That your influence, that your ability to change flows out of God's power changing you there's probably no date more dangerous leader in all the world that is trying to lead outside of God's power changing them that applies to me that applies to you that applies to every leader you'll ever ever meet so I want to encourage you that your influence should flow through God's power that is always doing something in you because when you try to do it on your own when I try to do it on my own Nothing good happens. So it has to be that God brings those changes about. And then that is how we lead. That is how we change. That is how we influence. That's hard. Because most of us have been the way we are for a long time. You have always been you. Did you know that? And so, thank you, Jessica. She is just graduated law school she's very smart and I think I just provide humor for her because I'll say something she just laughs I have no idea why she's laughing you know I got a booger or something I don't know you have always been you some form or another maybe the you current is better than than the you past and hopefully the better the you tomorrow is better than the you current but you have always been you in some shape or another So, so that's not really a debate. It's am I allowing God's power to change me, and and as a result of that changing, what does my influence look like? I've seen dynamics in many years in churches that people want to be important. People want to have influence. So I wonder then, what do you want to influence? So I'll, I'll tell you what I told my son after I kind of got right, okay? Because he was obviously very upset and very shaken and panicked. And I said, okay, here's a problem. You can't watch me struggle and not do anything about it. So I can't watch you struggle and not do anything about it. If, some of us have been in Home Depot together, right? Um, yeah. if, you, if you're around me at all or know my life, we're going to meet in Home Depot. Some way or another, we will end up in Home Depot. Maybe you go there with me like Brian Serp or, or Dave Rideau. We just pass each other like ships in the night. And like, oh, there's Tom Sutter. I, okay, so I'll use Tom. Maddie's with me in Home Depot all the time. The people in Home Depot know me. They know Maddie. We will, and, and other people who've been with me in Home Depot will tell you what I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth, without question, without fail. We will never, ever watch somebody that needs help and not help them. Ever. Ever. We will not watch somebody struggle. We will not watch somebody load up bags of concrete and not go help them. Um, that's why you know, wearing an orange shirt in Home Depot is not good. So, I don't remember when it was, we run into Tom Sutter, and Maddie's like, oh, there's Tom Sutter. She runs over and hugs Tom, and blah, 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 and I'm like, you don't, you don't do that to me every day, <laughs> right? It's, no, oh, I got to do what? So, Tom's loading up flooring. So, we follow Tom out of the truck, and we help him load up flooring. It wasn't heavy stuff, it wasn't a lot of stuff, and Tom goes, we don't have to do this. We're like, well, yeah, we do. Well, you're not going to... But i got to take this down to Owen County and unload it. And I'm like, yeah, but we can help you now. I'm not driving to Owen County. <laughs> i got stuff to do. So you influence out of God's power changing you. And some of that may not come natural to you. It may not be the thing that you gravitate towards because you're busy and you got stuff to do. And, okay, everybody's busy. Everybody's got stuff to do. We all have the exact same amount of time in every single day. So you will simply have to choose to allow your influence to be driven by the power of God changing your life and changing the way you think, changing your desires, changing your heart. What I've just said to you is the fatal flaw in the kings of Israel. And I'll explain this through these verses. This is 1 Kings 11.9. If you were here last summer, this is one of the last things we talked about. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Now let that sink into you, because that's crazy. We think that if just God would show up this afternoon while I'm laying in the pool, or on the motorcycle, or not mowing the grass, or watching golf, or playing golf, or doing whatever you're doing, if God would just show up and see me face to face, I would do anything he said. That's lie number one you tell yourself. The wisest man who ever lived bailed on God because he allowed influence in his life that didn't belong. God showed up and appeared to him not once, but twice. And Solomon couldn't make it happen. So, if you flash forward to a story of Jesus where the disciples are talking to him, and, and they said, man, if you would just show us the Father, man, we'd be happy. And he, Jesus says, look, if you've seen me, you've seen Dad. You've seen the Father if you've seen me. The story of the rich man and Lazarus, um, the rich man is in hell, he's in torment, and he looks at, at, at Abraham, who um, was the father of the Jewish nation, he says, please send Send somebody back to tell my brothers, I have five brothers. I don't want them to come to this place. I don't want them to end up where I am. Abraham says, they have the law and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets. If they're not going to believe that, they will not believe even if somebody came back from the dead. That's the story Jesus tells. And Jesus himself is crucified on the Friday, raises on the Sunday, and there are still people who will deny that he is who he said he was. And you and I are tempted to deny him the right to be the Lord of our lives. We'll let him be this much, but not this much. Because I don't want to give up that power or the illusion of control. I don't want to give that up. So, Solomon bails, even though God had had appeared to him twice and God was angry. So, The fatal flaw in their leadership. Uh, Verse 11. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Now think about that. Solomon knows he's the smartest guy ever. And God says, Because you started with a heart problem, his attitude. And that always, always, always... Converts into behaviors. Behaviors aren't the problem. You start with the with a sin in your heart. What you think. Why you think it. He says, Because Solomon, you did these things, I will give your kingdom to somebody that's not half as smart as you. Think how insulting that is to Solomon. Solomon built some incredible stuff. He wrote, the entire book of Proverbs just about is Solomon's handiwork. Incredibly wise stuff. And God says, um, you started with a heart problem. That translated into bad behaviors. And because of that, I'm going to tear, he says tear. I'm going to tear your kingdom out of your hands. Now there's a subtle problem in that. So I want you to think about your kingdom. So take a minute to think about your kingdom. Whatever you think your kingdom is. It's that little house on Colonel Drive with a pool in the back. Or a deck, a sunroom. Or on Williams Reserve. Or in treetops. Or in Mars Hill. Whatever your kingdom looks like to you. It's your cubicle at work. It's wherever it is you hold court. Anybody holding court, right? Okay, okay. So... So think about your kingdom. Now, think about how tightly you hold on to your kingdom. Now, let me help you understand what that looks like. Anybody like roller coasters? Okay. You like roller coasters now that you're my age? It's a whole other chiropractic trip. (laughs) Right? When you're 18, I'll jump off of that. When you're 47, look, I'm going to sit down for a minute. Yeah, I know. You all go ahead. I'll catch up. <laughs> okay, so I'm still not smart enough to say no to a bunch of things. But you ever do you, uh, for you roller coaster people? Do you ride in the front, front seat? It's the only place to ride. Everywhere else, the view is the same, right? The front or the back are usually the best. Okay, so how do you ride that ride? Do you white knuckle? Are you like stick your hands up, hold on to nothing? Don't brace your your legs like a chicken, right? You need to be able to. You need to have that sensation of, I'm gonna come out of this seat, I'm gonna fly off the end of this out in the woods. Okay, so some of us hold on to our kingdom like that. We are white knuckled, and we think that our kingdom is ours, and nobody's gonna take it. And I don't trust God with it, and it's mine. And most of the time, eventually, what happens? If we are God's children, He tears it out of our hands. doesn't say He doesn't give it back to us. He does that with Israel over and over and over again. He even says to Solomon, Hey look, your father David, I made a promise to him, one of his descendants will always be on the throne. So I want to ask about how... your grip on you, what you think your kingdom looks like, how that impacts your influence. So I will remind you of the story of Moses. Moses has murdered somebody. He's on the run, meets this guy named Jethro, who's a farmer, or um, he's, he's a rancher. He begins a, he, he rescues Jethro's daughters right now, so Jethro really likes him. And so he puts him in charge of stuff. And Moses is out, Sheep herding, goat herding, herding, herding stuff. And he ends up on the backside of this mountain. He sees a bush on fire. And it's not being burned up. Now, there's, there's something about people in the Old Testament that they were utterly crazy and fearless. That they see something like that and go, we should go check that out. So he goes and checks it out. And he hears a voice. Says, man, take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. So he takes his shoes off. Again, not freaked out. Not freaked out. Bush on fire, not burning up. Here's a voice from nowhere. Does not panic. God says, "What's in your hand?" Fundamental question for His life and ours. What's in your hand? And Moses' hand was everything that told him who he was. It was his staff. This is how I earn my living. This is how I take care of myself. This is my identity. This is everything about me. This is who I am. And God says, "Lay it down." We understand that the influence that we are trying to have, the leadership we are trying to have, is directly and irrevocably tied to my ability and willingness to lay down who I am. As a matter of fact, I may never lead or influence the way God intends me to unless I lay it all down. So Moses... The Bible says that Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. And we're talking about a guy who eventually led millions of people out of slavery. And so he lays it down. Now imagine that emotional moment for him. This is everything that I think I am. This is every part of my identity. This is me in a nutshell. This is it, and I'm laying it down. Down and now I am bare and I am naked and I have nothing, and I am nobody. And it's laying there on the ground. Now, for those of you who may have a certain amount of fears, God turns that into a snake. So again, we get the whole picture. Um, bush not being burned up. voice from the sky my, my identity just morphs into a snake still not freaked out so now is a turning point if there isn't one already and God says okay go ahead and pick that back up well yeah that was great for you So he picks it up and immediately turns back into his staff. That's a catalytic moment in his life. That's a turning point in his life. That is a tipping point in his life where now, everything I thought I was, God has turned upside down. Everything I thought I would be, God has turned upside down. And now I'm ready to be on this journey of influence. So... When we get to the kings of Israel and Solomon, you started with this attitude. You started with a heart problem and it translated into behaviors. So I'm going to tear your kingdom from your hands. Now there are two main characters that are involved at this point on. And they are um, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Never heard those names before? They're easy to remember because they kind of rhyme. Jeroboam, Rehoboam. The first guy we talk about is Jeroboam. Um, And and I'll just tell you a little about Jeroboam's story. Um, Jeroboam is the guy that God said, when God says, I'm going to tear the kingdom from your hands, he's referring to Jeroboam and so he raises up Jeroboam and Solomon puts Jeroboam in charge of stuff because Jeroboam is a great guy and he was a really good leader and the stuff he did succeeded and Solomon looked at Jeroboam and said I'm going to promote him so he promotes him gives him responsibilities, gives him authority well, Jeroboam is out walking across the countryside one day and he runs into a, um, a man of God, a prophet and the prophet says and he's got a new coat on the prophet, the Bible actually says this that the prophet is wearing a new cloak. So he meets Jeroboam, and God says, hey, take that off and rip it up. I just bought this. So he takes it off, and he rips it into 12 pieces. And he gives 10 of those pieces to Jeroboam, and he says, God is telling you that you're going to be the king over these 10 tribes of the nation of Israel. But these others, God has said, um, I want David's, one of David's uh, descendants to be a king. So these will go to him. Well, that's all well and good, but there's still a king on the throne, and his name is Solomon. So Solomon finds out, and he tries to kill Jeroboam. The chaos of the kings. So, Jeroboam runs away. Solomon dies. So, the problem is that this other guy named Rehoboam... He's got some people following him. And now there's a conflict. What we will always see in leadership, what we will always see in the struggle of influence, is how we try to garner support. We'll rally people to our cause. I don't know, well, what's your cause? What are you fighting for? So I want you to hear me say this. This is the One Hope Community Church. This is not Will's church. It wasn't Roger's church. It's not Kim's church or Justin's or Beverly's or Pat's or Lynn's or Borgie's or Ann's. This is One Hope Community Church. There is one big deal here. His name happens to be Jesus. We kind of like him. We're a big fan. He's done a lot for us and he always will. He, will, he has done for us what we could have never done for ourselves, and that was pay for our sins on the cross. There's one big deal, and that's Jesus. So then when we check our motives and check our attitudes and check why we do and why we lead and why we have influence, it always comes back to Jesus. Always, 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 always. He is always our benchmark. He is always what we measure to. He is always our primary influence. How do we measure against that? How does our leadership look like? compared to that there's one big deal and that's Jesus so the problem with Jeroboam and Rehoboam is they are fighting for what they think is theirs so there's always conflict now Rehoboam um, is not the sharpest knife in the drawer do you know people who are not the brightest bulbs You've worked with them, you've ran into them at places, um, maybe you're it. I know I am, I, I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer uh, in many occasions, and I like that. I like being around people who are smarter, who have solved problems that I have yet to solve. Okay, so, let me tell you a story about this place. I made, I've made several mistakes in, in this venue, Okay. Some of them, I've made it, and I've corrected it before anybody caught it, right? Some not, because I just couldn't figure it out. One of the things was these two cameras, or these two projectors right here, okay? So running from back there, from our new sound booth, also the bar, um, are, were two HDMI cables. I have no idea what the, words HD, the letters HDMI stand for. I just know that I bought some and ran some. Now here's what I didn't know. Some HDMI cabers, cables are unidirectional. Do you know what that means? No, I didn't... Yeah, they only go one way, right? Right, okay, so, unidirectional, they go one way. Now, the people who manufacture these HDMI cables know that there are people like me in the world. And so they put a little tag on the end of one of these cables, one end that says... Hey, this is a kindly reminder that this cable is unidirectional, and this end should be at the source. Do you know what the source is? The computer. Okay. So Will is just got to get stuff done. So I'm fishing both these cables up through this wall over here, and coming it comes along here, and now it's running to the cameras. So It's all hooked up, right? This camera works. That camera doesn't. So I call the only person I know to call, Joetta Browning. And I say, you got to figure this out. I've done all. I have exceeded my limit of expertise, which is evidently running cable. So can't figure it out. Can't figure it out. So I just walk across the parking lot to our neighbors, who use our parking lot more than we do. So I walk over, meet the owner, and say, "Hey, I need some help." So he comes over, brings their architect. It sounds impressive. Like the architects here, we're going to get some stuff done, right? So they're, they're, they can't figure it out. So then they go get more people, <laughs> right? So at one point in time, we got ladders set up. There's a, the scaffold, um, Ron Wolf scaffolds. Everybody's here. There's seven guys here trying to figure this out, right? So they're messing around back there. I'm going, look, if you mess this stuff up, Joetta's going to kill me. You cannot monkey around. Don't, right? So finally, one guy, he reads the label on the cable. So I'm, I'm here. I'm, so I'm talking to these guys who know in, infinitely more about all this stuff than I do. And I say, look, um, you're not going to offend me. Feel free to talk down to me. Make it so I can understand it. Be, make it elementary, right? Make it simple. So he finally figures out, and he's like, oh, here's what you need to do. So they, uh, this company has been very kind and gracious to us, and they will always be kind and gracious to us. We had a talk, and he said, "Um, you know, um, we use your parking lot a lot. And I said, yeah, I think you use ours more than you use yours. And he said, well, how do you feel about that? And I said, well, we will always be good neighbors to you. Always. We will always be good to you. There will nothing that will change that. Having said that, I need some help. So they, they, I mean, they empty the office, man. I mean, everybody's over here figuring stuff out. So they gave us all kinds of stuff, and they helped me solve that problem. Now, yesterday, Rob Brown and I solved it, really. We, we fished the cable back through and fished the new, put it through the right way. And um, so what I discover is over here on the ground is this little white tag. And I said to Rob, I said, ah, uh, look, I've messed this up once, and I am in no way disparaging your your attentiveness here. But did you fish this through the right way? Because this tag is laying on the floor. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I made sure I left the string on and blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, that's fantastic. It's difficult to to know what you don't know. One of the wisest things you will ever do is to is begin the process of knowing what you don't know. When we solved that problem yesterday, we, Joetta and Rob and I were standing in the back, and I said, man, I wish all my mistakes were this easy to fix. I wish all my st- mistakes were this easy to fix. And they're just not. So Rehoboam is about to make some fatal flaws in his leadership. And they come from a choice that he makes. So here's what he does. He doesn't listen to the right people. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon. Rehoboam is the the king over the two little tribes. Jeroboam is the king over the ten. So, how would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. These are the elders that helped his dad. They'd been around a long time, right? They had seen Solomon make choices and wise counsel, and they had lived that life. So now Rehoboam says, hey, what would you guys do? Well, if you today will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Huh. If you'll just serve these people... If you will esteem them better than yourself, if you will do good to them, man, they'll love you forever and they will serve you. That's great advice. These are people who had walked through some junk, who had seen some really good things happen and seen some really bad things happen. And they had some experiences, and Solomon seeks, the, or Rehoboam seeks them out and says, Man, what did you guys do? And this is their advice serve people. Serve them. Serve people. That's it. As the king, as the guy who can do anything he wants, they say, serve them. Serve them, serve them, serve them. Sounds really good. Well, Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Okay, Rehoboam was the prince. So who do you think he hung with? Other trust fund kids. Right? That's who he's with. He's with the kids that were never told no. Hey, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm Rehoboam, right? You know, my dad, he's the king. That makes me Prince Rehoboam. That means um, that's what I want. I'll tell you a quick story and we'll go on. Many years ago, I helped a guy remodel a house, a remodel room at his house. So there's three of us that helped him. So he took us all and our wives to dinner at what was then the waterfront, which is washed away. So we go there. And and if you've ever been there back in the day, you walk by the raw bar on your way in. So you walk by the raw bar. So John owns this coatings company over in Harrison. They coat O-rings for, like, race cars and stuff, right? And that's all they do. That's it. So John takes us all to dinner, and we walk by the raw bar, and we're like, so we kill this raw bar. So once we wipe out part of the raw bar, we've already ordered dinner, John has our table captain I think that's what they called him at the time. He comes over, and he says, hey, um, we walked by, and we saw these three giant prawns. I mean, they were the size of lobsters. John says, we want those. So the guy goes, and he comes back, and he says, you know, those are really just kind of for display. And John goes, so we can't buy them? Guy goes back. And now another guy comes to the table. This must be the prawn captain. I don't know what he is. So the guy comes back and he says, Well, you know, um, what can I, you know, and he's like, Well, we'd really, next thing we know, we've got these, I mean, like cutting with a steak knife. (sighs) So it, it, Rehoboam's buddies. The reason they're his buddies is because you're the prince and we just want to be around you. What do you want us to say? We'll say that with passion. What do you want us to agree to? We'll agree that with fer- We'll agree to that with fervor. So, what is your advice? How should we answer these people say to me, lighten the yoke your Father put on us? Now here's their advice. Verse 10. The young men who had grown up with him Tell these people who have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. Huh. Two very different approaches to leadership, aren't they? One says, Man, serve these people be good to them, bless them, strengthen them, encourage them. The other says, lay it to them. The one group of vice says, man, if you love these people, they will love you and serve you forever. The other says, I make it hard on them. Let them figure it out. They thought they had it bad before. Wait till they get a load of me. We have the opportunity to influence. How do we Make the most of that. So, what interesting thing happens next is um, because he listens to bad advice, and I want to make this side note to you very quickly. You can listen to the voices in your head, which are as equally devastating as the voices outside. The stories you tell yourself, the lies you tell yourself, that voice in your head can be as equally devastating as the advice as bad advice from bad people so let me make this statement to you also there should be no greater influence on what happens inside your house than the people inside your house not in-laws not coworkers not neighbors nobody else should have as much influence on what happens inside your house as the people who are inside your house nobody so how we allow those things to influence impacts our influence impacts our influence so the <coughs> the bizarre things that come about next 1 Kings 12, 24, and we're going to wrap up here. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered the whole house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 fighting men to make war against the house of Israel. So the two tribes, the two tribes of Judah and all the other ten are Israel. Now they're going to fight each other. Really? That's your solution. Aren't you amazed at how many people would just rather fight than be humble? I wish I was not one of those people. I'm learning not to be one of those people. You will not find a better fighter than me on any level. That has not always served me well. As a matter of fact, it has most often not served me well. So, Rehoboam Go- gets to town. He ra- and this is a pretty big fighting force. Sizable. So he's got these two tribes. He rallies 180,000 fighting men to war against their brothers, their kin. But this word of God came to Shemaiah, the prophet, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to the whole house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says, do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home. Every one of you. For this is my doing. I, God, listen, God says, I'm the one who's doing this. Don't blame Jeroboam. I'm the one who's doing this. What if there's conflicts in our lives? What if we realized, hey, maybe this is what God's doing? Maybe this is what God's doing. So then that takes the pressure off of me and you to fight. And we reevaluate how we lead and how we influence. He says, so this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home. They just went home. Wait, hold on. We're here to fight. We packed lunch. We got our stuff. We got a cooler. We're here to fight. And God says, just go home. And they went home. They went home. You know, when we think about our influence, are we the people people that bring just peace and common sense? Are we the people that are willing to say, okay, I don't know what the fight's about. Or I do know what the fight's about. And I'm just going to choose not to fight. I think that the children of God... And by that I mean us. If we would just measure our influence better. If we would understand that every interaction, I have the power to make an impact and an influence that will do something for the kingdom of God. You understand the problem in school shootings is not guns. I know that sounds strange to you, but it is not. There have always been guns everywhere. Always. Always. That's why foreign, early on, that's why foreign nations looked at us and said, we're not going to fight them. There's a gun behind every bush. So the problem is not the NRA. The problem is not, the problem is this. We are failing to help children at a vulnerable age to navigate through conflict. That's it. Here, go entertain yourself with this electronic device. And so they are not able to figure out how to handle conflict, resolve problems, talk about stuff, because all they have is a screen. They don't have personal interaction. It's a, it's a computerized babysitter, and we just let them go. And then we wonder why. Well, why can't my kid talk? Why can't we resolve conflict? Well, I, there's a conflict back there that I, hopefully is getting resolved right now. <laughs> So we wonder why. The problem is that we are abdicating our opportunity to influence. So somewhere along the line, B. Torrance told me a while ago, she said, I can tell you, after the first month of my school year, what kids have an issue. So then heaven's sakes... We figure out how to influence those kids. I proposed to a school board member back months ago. Okay, so our church, let's let's start a foundation that will fund school counselors for Boone County Schools. They won't work for our church; they'll work for a foundation. It's not a religious thing; it's a mental health thing. So, all gather. 10, 15, 20 churches that we will just pull money together for a foundation that will fund school counselors for Boone County. Won't cost the school system a penny, will not cost them a dime, and we'll fund it. And we'll, we'll hire professional counselors to be in our schools. Nothing changes without us maximizing our power of influence. Nothing changes. You want to change the schools, you want to change how kids handle conflict, then we maximize how we influence people. And that's through the power of God changing us, changing how we think. You will never, ever stop school shootings by passing laws. You just won't. It doesn't work for anything. Our lives change because our hearts change. That's it. So this school board member is also an attorney. And so as I'm talking to her, because I, I remodeled a room in her basement, um, I'm like, hey, I want to talk about this thing and this problem going on and how do we solve this. And here's my idea. Tell me what's wrong with this idea. Just tell me how it won't work. Tell me everything that's wrong with my idea so then we can begin to, f- to solve it, begin to fix it. So let's do something that matters. Will you... I, we have an opportunity to influence every single person we come in contact with. That is who this church will be. It will influence people for the kingdom of God. God loves you, and you matter, and you're important. So let's do something together that matters. Let's pray. Father, I, I find myself often leaning more towards the chaos of the kings of Israel than I do the method of leadership that Jesus modeled. And so forgive me for that. Just give me a humble heart that chases after you, that looks like you, that talks like you, that feels like you. Father, help us to be very intentional in how we influence and how we allow ourselves to be influenced. That you are always our model. You are always our standard. You are always the thing we run to and gravitate to. That we look and feel and talk and smell like you. And we know that we're going to mess it up because that's what we do. But we know that you are faithful and you are always pulling us in to be close to you, to learn from you, to be like you. So help us not to fight that. Father, we love you and we thank you. We just the opportunity to be in your presence today. Father, I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus, not just over myself, but over this church family. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.